All right, welcome to Talk Jiu-Jitsu with host Ugi Mike, Joey Bresky, and me, Jordan Pressinger from Jordan Teaches Jiu-Jitsu. Today we have a great episode for you guys, and it's going to be about Jiu-Jitsu triggers. So what a trigger is, is you see something and then you go for it. And um, I I use a lot of triggers when I grapple, like um, it just makes things easier. So instead of imposing your will always um, and trying to force things that you want, you take what's available. And um, more often than not, that's the path of least resistance. So... We'll start off with um, one of my, well, just a really easy one. It's just like the open elbow is like the super obvious uh, one, an easy one to get into. So if you're on the bottom or even even on the top, but especially on the bottom and guard, you see someone's open elbow um, and you can grab their wrist, loop your arm through, you can take a Kimura. So if someone's keeping their elbow open, that's the perfect time for go, to go for a Kimura. And just the open elbow in general um, is a great time to go for uh, underhooks as well. And I made a video, um, what was it called? It was, uh, oh my God, I can't remember what it's called. Oh yeah. It was like 10 judici tips or guard passing tips. And that was one of the tips, like see the open elbow. And one of the clips, uh, I was in my guard and the guy had both his elbows open. So it was like, what do I want? Do I want a underhook or, or do I want a Kimura? I started off going for the Kimura, but I'm like, ah, I'll take the underhook. And those kind of things, you can't, you can't just let those things happen. Like, Triggers are good to understand to attack, but also good to understand to uh, prevent because you can't give your your partner any triggers. So, what about like I've seen you roll and give somebody a trigger? You know, yeah. you're setting somebody up for failure. You know what I mean? You got to watch for that too. Yeah, I do that a lot too. Where I'll set traps, where I'll, I'll give someone something because if you know exactly what they need, you can give them like almost like a little bite, like a little uh, it's a little bit of it, and then. You just don't give them the rest of it and then you, they they go for it and you're ready for it and then you uh yeah you trap them so yeah i do that a lot like give people underhooks and whatnot because i want to go for a guillotine or I something do that like that. all the time just from watching your videos yeah 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 exactly and um yeah so the open elbows are really easy one to start with but not super um i don't know there's not a lot to be said other than okay another good example would be an arm triangle so you're in mounts and you see the open elbow the perfect time to get an underhook and start working an arm triangle. And it doesn't have to be an arm triangle. You can uh, jack up the arm the same way you would for an arm triangle. Take uh, an arm bar or something like that. Like there's, especially in Nogi, there's not really a lot of uh, ways of getting up high on people other than jacking up their arms using an underhook. So yeah, and actually <laughs> uh, this is a good example too. Um, I was teaching class, I was teaching like how to escape mounts and I was saying you need to keep your elbows super tight. And then I was doing the sequence uh, where I did the whole sequence. I was using Mike as a Uki. <laughs> and then I was like, well, now let's get Mike to continue the sequence because it ended up um, like it started off with me amounts. I escaped and did the dogfight, got to mount on him. And then he can do the sequence on me. I was like, well, let's put Mike on the spot. Let's see uh, if he does it perfect. And the first thing he does is, is as he's escaping, opens his elbow. <laughs> I'm like, oh, now I got an underhook. So. Yeah, like uh, putting people on the spot can be a good thing, even, even though like I don't, I don't want to like you know make you know. feel bad or anything. It's all good. I go completely blank when there's people around, and as soon as you did it, I did it again. I opened my elbow again immediately. But after that, I swear to God, I kept that that sucker glued to my uh, to my side as much as I possibly could. Uh, so I learned my lesson. It's a good way for me to learn a lesson is to not not like being embarrassed in front of people, but to be put on the spot in front of people for sure. Yeah, almost like being exposed. Yeah. Like you, uh, yeah, probably a great learning, uh, 
like opportunity for you because now, yeah, you don't want to make that mistake again. It probably really resonated in your head. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of shaming. I know people, you can't do that in this day and age, but I mean, if, if I'm not looking right and you say, Mike, you're looking fat, that, that motivates me. Darren told me I look skinny once and I went to the gym and put on 15 pounds. Like <laughs> I, I need that shit in my life. So yeah, shame me as much as you can. And Darren's so honest too. He'll just like say yeah. what he thinks. Like Darren, God damn it. Yeah. Honest to like almost an autistic degree. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's probably got a little bit of autism for <laughs> yeah, sure. People say I do too. So. People say I do as well. Yeah. So I can say that. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, it's, man, being the Uki's hard. Like uh, Nikki was the Uki last night and she was having a hard time. Like, cause it's just like, oh, so much in your head, but yeah, cause um, you don't want to fuck up in front of everybody and yeah. the pressure's there and you're training with, you know, the, the master of the class. Right. So it's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. And if you can, if you can do things right, when that pressure's on, then when you're actually rolling, um, then you're going to do it right. It's going to be easier to do it right. So it's like really good way to ingrain it in people's head. So, like without, yeah, without going overboard and like really shaming them where they feel like, uh, awful, but yeah, you didn't make me feel like shit when I yeah. fucked up. You just like, well, no, you didn't do it right. Let's do it again. Well, you didn't do it right. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, it got, it made me do it right afterwards. Let's just put it that way. Exactly. Yeah. I treat my students right. Cause I don't want to go on a rant and I don't want to talk about negative comments, but one comment pissed me well, it didn't piss me off because it was just, it was just a reflection of him. But, uh, on the self-defense, um, that reality show I did, there was a trailer and, uh, um, I saw the trailer. Yes. Yeah, nice. Someone wrote, they're just hoping for me to lose. They're rooting against me because I seem like a really bad guy. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's not very nice. <laughs> and so I asked him like, what have I ever done for you to think that? And he's like, Oh, you know, it seems like you teabag your students. Like, um, and I think what he, what he meant by that is like, um, like style on them, make them look bad. And, um, for my own gain, um, uh, but, and, but he's like, but I do learn from your channel, but it's like, okay, if I didn't roll with my students, I wouldn't have a channel to, for you to watch and learn from. So like, I was like, that's, that's a crazy comment. And then he also said, I seem really cocky. <laughs> I was thinking, crap, does, does he watch the podcast? <laughs> Cause like, I think that's where my, like, I don't know, cockiness comes out the most, but I'm not cocky. I'm just confident. I've never seen you stunt on your students, anything more than I've seen you roll any black belt that's come into the gym to challenge you, or even that roll with Chewy when you Matt returned him. Like yeah. if you did that to me when on camera, would that be stunting? But just, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I'm just rolling. You know, I'm not doing anything different than I would like when I'm actually rolling other than like, sometimes I roll lazy or like whatever, but like, you know, I'm just doing my best is same thing I do when I'm actually rolling. So I viewed that as a reflection on him because probably he doesn't resonate well with people that are confident and just doesn't like them, views them as cocky. And he probably also has an ego where he wouldn't want to be um, filmed getting tapped repeatedly and put on the internet, which is, if you don't want that, that's fine. But he's projecting his like insecurities. Um, and that's why he doesn't like me, but I explained it to him and he's like, Oh, okay. You cleared it up. And uh, now I don't dislike you <laughs> pretty much. So <laughs> I, yeah, that was good. But yeah, it, it didn't make me feel bad. I was just like, what the hell? But yeah, back to the topic of the, the podcast. We should have a comment section every week. Just a yeah. little bit, just a little bit every week. There's, Throw that in there. There's always a comment I could, uh, I, I could talk about. Yeah, the sure. comment of the week. But at least I don't cry about it like I, no. I used to on the podcast and, you know, make it my therapy session, like, <laughs> like some have said. But uh, yeah, Joey, when it comes to triggers, um, like, because I might have different triggers in mind than you do. So I'm really curious to, to hear your uh, perspective, what kind of triggers you look for when you're grappling, which ones you capitalize on. 
So I do think uh, you saying like the open elbows is like a huge one. Like we play a game in our gym where we do it from side control or mount. doesn't matter to me where the bottom player, we do like a three minute round. Their job is just to keep their elbows tight. So like elbows tight to their body. You know, if you're in mount, maybe my hands are down on their hips, keeping them in low mount. If I'm in side control, I'm trying to keep my frames in front. And the top guy's job is literally just to try to open the elbows and like, jack up the arms isolate the arms so like you said from mount get the arm above the head for like an arm triangle position every time we play it for some reason both the people on top and bottom are like this game's really hard like how it can't be hard for both of you like (laughs) it has to be easier for one of you guys but uh i notice now like when we roll like if man my students do not let their elbows leave their body because we play that game all the time and they're like no i am clamping in tight i'm not letting my elbows get exposed so it's really frustrating for me because that's one of my triggers to go for a lot of these attacks and they won't cooperate with me anymore um but another one i use a lot like uh sticking with like a top position is when i'm in side control is my opponent to bridge uh i really like like you know, I'm not the greatest guard passer in the world. I'm I'm more of a guard player, but I do like playing on the top. So when I get past someone's guard, I don't ever want to get put back in a guard. And being a smaller guy, especially rolling with a lot of bigger people, uh, they'll try and like just like do that like reversal thing almost where they like bridge you over. So for me, when I go to take mount is usually when someone bridges. Uh, the reason being, <laughs> if your feet are both on the mat to bridge, you really can't move. Like your feet are committed to the mat. You've lifted your hips. How are you supposed to shrimp? How are you supposed to like reverse me, trap my ankle as I try and step over? So for me, that's like, and when I teach, I teach, that's a really big trigger. Like if I get side control, I'm going to put pressure, I'm going to hold. And the moment I feel the person start to bridge, I'm just going to step over into mount and there's nothing they can really do to stop it. So it makes for like a really easy mount. No worries. Don't have to, you know, worry about getting my ankle trapped. And I don't have to worry about getting like reversed with the big bridge because I'm stepping forward as they bridge into me. Yeah, that's a great example. And um, just in general, it's just a lot easier um, progressing when people are transitioning because that's when they um, they don't have their grips available to defend. So whatever it is um, that the, they're tra- transitioning, they need to change their grips. And this would be not necessarily a transition, but in a way it is because they're going from um, just being kind of defensive to actually trying to escape. And then, yeah, their, uh, their grips of their legs can't can't uh, grab your leg as easily because they're occupied on the ground. So like, that's a big thing because people, they often just want to like impose their will and just go forward the whole time and not really, um, you know, take their time and, and wait for things to come. And that's a, that's a hard style to, uh, to have because you need, if you're strong, if you're really strong, then that's, that's easier. But otherwise like attacking during the transitions is like definitely the way to go. Um, and yeah, that's like, yeah, the same thing if like I'm passing half guard and I do like where I, I turn my hips and they try to bridge into me. I love that because it's the same thing. It's like you're just giving me mounts. And because I've, I've taught that before um, and people are like, what do they bridge into you? It's like, well, I'm going to show that next anyways. But like, um, you know, it doesn't matter. It's a good thing. So, yeah, like that's a that's a great example. And when it comes to the open elbow, not to be all over the place, but I think it's a good example of how just how important it is to be uh defensively sound and i've I've been like kind of thinking about this like more ways to explain inside position and how important it is it's like you need to have like a defensive barrier um almost like a defensive shell that you can't let people penetrate and if you let people and which is your um to me 
everything uh, b- below your elbows, well, in front of your elbows and, and in front of your knees. And if you get let people inside that space, well, you don't have your defensive barrier. Like your shell is your forearms and your um, and your shins when it comes to uh, frames. But there's also closing space and staying tight, but it's the same thing. Underneath the elbows, that's, that's when things go wrong. But um, yeah, people need to be way more aware of like, they have a defensive shell that they can't let people penetrate. And it's from everywhere, from turtle, from, from guard, from uh, guard passing. And a good example too, um, to tie it into another trigger would be like when someone is passing and they step close to your head, um, it's the perfect time to go for X guard because now you can grab over top their knee, which would be their, their thigh and get underneath them. So now you're within their defensive shell because your again their shins would be their shell and which is another reason why you can't let them um turn their knee towards you because they could start putting their their shin on you and framing on you um but if you control their knee which you shouldn't in in x guard well then they can't do that so you can't have that defensive barrier that shell in there and uh yeah you, you get your legs in there for x guard and x guard such a such a powerful guard and uh basically people can they can make the mistake of stepping too close to your head and you go for x guard or maybe you go for like a butterfly sweep or something and they defend by stepping close to your head um to base out and then okay perfect now i'm going to go to x guard so a lot of these things like jiu-jitsu is really not as complicated as it seems from like um the outside or like when you're like kind of like more of a beginner like yeah, all these things are actually more like basic than, than, than it seems like. Like you don't just go to X card because you want to, you need to make it available or when it becomes available, you go for it. And, um, yeah, that's like, that's one of my favorite triggers. Cause I love X card. I love when people step close to my head. Um, I was in your last video, was it not? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And just in general, uh, just, yeah, I might, if we come up with a lot of good triggers, I'll probably make a YouTube video all about triggers. So it's actually a good uh, use of our time. And so you guys are helping me make a YouTube video. So I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Mike, what are some of your like uh, triggers you like to go for? Uh, my favorite one is when I'm entering somebody's half guard and they leave their uh, leg lazy on my hip. It's a trigger for me to immediately go for a uh, toe hold. And it's almost every time somebody does that. And even if they react right there, they're giving me the pass because they'll yank their leg out right away and I can easily pass to the side. So I can either go for a toe hold or just drop in for a straight uh, leg lock. But uh, that's the main trigger that I, I use all the time. I see it. People are so lazy with their feet. And if someone is trying to attack your foot, Joey, um, what is a good way to defend, to stop them from being able to do that in half guard, like to, to prevent the toe hold in the first place? Like if I'm on the bottom? Yeah, if you're on the bottom, you have yeah. your outside leg. Yeah, yeah, like a knee shield. Your foot's hanging out there. Someone's you. You can see they're thinking about that toe hold. Like, what what would you do? So if I know, like, if I can see it before they've gone for the toe hold, I just keep my foot like connected to their body. Uh, the toe hold, like, you actually have to get like, you have to get my foot off your body and isolate your arms around it. So if I can keep it nice and tight to your body, not too worried. Like, you'll have a really hard time fishing it free. But like Mike said, like a lot of people get lazy with it, and I do too. Like I'm, you know we're all human. Like sometimes you're playing an knee shield, your foot flaps out a little bit and a guy grabs it. If I feel someone grab a toe hold, I'm kicking that leg straight to get it free from the grip. Every time the problem with that is now my leg's not protecting me anymore. So by threatening that toe hold, if I want to free my leg, I'm probably giving him an opportunity to get like chest to chest or something like that. I, that's what, exactly. I use that all the time. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's, that's a good, uh, 
a good point exactly keeping your foot close and not being lazy right because sometimes people they try to attack the, the toehold anyways i can see them I, well I, and feel them they're like they want the toehold they're trying to find my foot but i'm just keeping it close to their body and it's just not there but it's but they're trying anyways like, okay well, you can try all you want but like i'm not just going to be lazy with my foot like i'm not going to like you know unless i am lazy and they go for it that's different but like when they're trying and i'm not being lazy like yeah you just keep your foot close another good thing is uh using a butterfly half guard um, because then your foot's tucked in their thigh and they can't go for it. So I'm, I much prefer, um, butterfly half guard than I do knee shield overall. So whenever I can, I'll put a butterfly hook in because it protects you from that toe hold. And it's like having a frame, like a knee shield, but also having a grip in your, with, as at your instep. So, um, I think overall, uh, it's better than the knee shield. I, I like think. butterfly hooks. I, anytime I can play any guard and like, hybridize it with a butterfly hook i'm always looking to stick a butterfly hook in i just think like especially as a smaller guy the butterfly hook is super useful because it allows me to control the distance in ways that like a knee shield lets me push you back like really that's all a knee shield can do like i can make space i can't really do anything else with it like if you have a knee shield and i said now pull the guy close with your knee shield like you can't do that now elevate the guy with your knee shield like that knee shield can't do that all it can do is control distance away from you. So like, I always like, like you said, like butterfly half guard, if I can stick that in there now, not only can I use it to keep that same distance, the knee shield could do, but now I have the threat of, I can elevate you. I can pull you into me. If I want to, I can start to scoop underneath you all these extra little things that the knee shield on its own doesn't offer. I like to tell my students, like a knee shield is a safe guard, but it's not a dynamic guard. Like most of the things you do from knee shield, I mean, I know you're like, you have a pretty good knee shield game, but like pretty much all the attacks that come from knee shield, the first step is like, I am removing my knee shield. Like if you want to come up and go for like a dog fight, like I have to take my knee shield out of the way. Like, uh, to me, that's, you know, it's useful. It's safe. But if the first step is always to like remove the knee shield, I'm like, there's probably a variation I can play that would give me a few more like offensive options. Exactly. Because the knee shield keeps them far away from you, but also keeps you far away from them. That's which is why you need to take it out. And I, it's funny you say that because I was teaching the dogfight um, at my second gym, uh, my new gym uh, on Wednesday. And some of them were beginners um, and which is fine. But they were like going, I, I think I taught the dogfight, they're going for it, but they're keeping their knee shield in. And they, because they're beginners, they don't have that understanding, which again, which is fine, but it's just a good, uh, yeah, it's just not everyone kind of realizes, you know, that you do need to take your knee shield out because it's more defensive and then you can transition to other things. Like not always like there's like flower sweeps you can do with the knee shield in, but overall um, you need to take it out first because you to attack, you want to get close to them. Um, and it, it, you can't, if you're keeping yourself far away from them using your knee shield. And um, yeah, just like um, this is kind of, I, I don't know, kind of a question for you guys. If, um, Okay, just say you're in headquarters and someone is trying to lift you forward. Like you're, say you're chest to chest, like you're a low posture headquarters. Someone's trying to lift you forward with their inside um, butterfly hook. So not their outside one, but their inside one, like the one that, um, yeah, it's on the inside. How do you stop them from lifting you forward? You use my head to post tripod? Possibly. 
you could tripod uh depending on what grips they have on your upper body you can also like sit back so like uh for me i do this a lot from butterfly too because it's a similar style of hook style of motion if you're trying to elevate me if i can bring my hips lower to the ground it makes it a lot harder for you to like get that lift but you can also like um like if the person's really trying to lift you from that inside, that's where I'd maybe start looking to like push the knee across and go into like a side smash style of move. Um, for me, I always teach my students, like when you're passing guards, especially like headquarters, that knee position, uh, is like, like we were talking about, it's almost like a trigger for me. Um, so I always say it's like a clock. If their knee, the inside knee is pointed up to 12 o'clock, it's pretty strong. It's, you know, it's upright. It's going to take a lot of effort for me to move it side to side. But if they let their knee position start to slide to like 10, nine o'clock, it's really easy now for me to push it down to the mat. So like, you know, if someone's trying to elevate me from a headquarters where I'm low chest on chest and that knee starts to turn at all, I'm just going to push it right down to the ground and stop their uh, ability to lift me at all. Yeah, exactly. And then to your point, Mike, so if you post your head on the mat, that means all your weight's going to be on your head, right? And then someone might be able to get underneath your, your legs. Yeah. Right. Cause now your legs are light. So I think this, I don't know, cause I've been thinking about this cause I might make like a YouTube video all about like what underhooks are used for and what they're really used for, um, from passing is to connect yourself to them, but also to, um, stop them from going knee to elbow and curl, curling themselves into a ball. So like if you can take a near side underhook, then they can't lift with their, um, with that butterfly hook because they can't curl themselves in. They can't bring their knee closer. So I was just like, interesting. I want to know if you guys kind of knew the answer to that one or if you did, Mike, I apparently did not. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not as clear when I just like vocalize it, but, um, it'll make sense when I show you what I mean, because I've, I've been watching a lot of clips like, I'm, you know, when I, well, I always do because when I make YouTube videos and then I'm just thinking like, um, how can I explain this? And, you know, how does this like translate to other things? And there was just a good example of like, uh, Robert, a leg lock guy, he was trying to elevate me. I was taking the near side underhook, then he couldn't, but then I lost my near side underhook and then he started lifting me forward. I had to bail out and, and get out of there. So I'm like, okay, I can probably explain this to people so they can use this. So yeah, I don't know. Kind of off topic, but yeah. What are some other uh, triggers you guys like to go for? I'll, I'll start with, I'll, I'll go for another one. One is like uh close guard when you're on the bottom and they lean back and then that's the perfect time to go for a hip bump sweep. And if you try to go for a hip bump sweep and they're not leaning back, um, it's probably going to be hard to do. Like if they're, if they're driving their weight forward, then getting them backwards is very hard. So either they don't have grips on you that stop you from coming up or they're just leaning back, which would be the same thing. They don't have grips to stop you from coming up. And it's like, okay, easy hip bump sweep. You're leaning back, which is like, you want to be all the way forward or all the way back, but not like all the way back where your where your head is past your, your hips. Like you want to keep it in line at least. But if someone's head is like leaning back, it's like, okay, hip bump sweep. And hip bump sweeps in general aren't like super high percentage only because people just try to go for them. They just try to go for them because I want one. I learned that in class. So this should work. Why is it not working? Well, it's like, you're not going for it at the right time. You know, it could also lead to a triangle if they go to post back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Off a failed hip bump sweep. Exactly. Cause now their arms separated from their body. Yeah. Perfect time to go for, uh, to go for a triangle, which again is another trigger. <laughs> if someone posts their hands on a hand on the mat, perfect time to go for a triangle. I'm back. Back in the game now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got, you got one right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And you can like that's the thing too when it comes to the hip pump sweep. Um, if you don't even care about the hip hip pump sweep itself, and you just want to get a reaction, you can not even block the arm. Like you you can, and then um, they might post out, or you can just bump your hips anyways, and then they can post their hand on the mat uh, to stop the sweep. But it's like, well, I never wanted the sweep in the first place. I wanted you to po- separate your arm from your body. Now I'm going triangle. So yeah, it's another great example of a trigger. I do exactly that all the time. Like, uh, you know, like obviously like the hip bump sweep is a sweep. Everyone should know it. It does work. Um, but especially when you get up to like higher level guys, it's pretty rare that you're going to get hip bump swept or that you're going to hip bump sweep a, like a good brown or black belt or even a good purple belt. It's really hard to hip bump sweep good people, but it is really good as a threat to make someone do something. Uh, and like you talked about earlier, like if I know you're going to be somewhere, two seconds from now, like if I'm setting up my hip bump sweep and I'm like, okay, I know I'm not going to block this arm. So this guy is going to post that arm. I already am prepared to triangle or omoplata or whatever I want to do Kimura on that posting arm before it's even posted. Whereas the guy I'm doing it to now has to react. Oh, I've got a post. He posts. The arm is already being attacked before he goes, Oh, now I'm being triangled. So you're almost like a, like a step ahead of people. Like I like to tell my students in the gym, like imagine if you were playing a game of chess, but I got to tell you what the guy's next move was going to be before you made your move. Like it's, it would be almost impossible to lose. If I know what you're going to do before you do it, it's really hard to lose a match. Uh, so like things like these, like using the hip bump sweep to get a reaction that is pretty common, uh, is pretty standard. And you know, you're going to get most of the time. If you threaten a hip bump sweep, like a hand is probably going to post, uh, using it that way can be a really good tool. Yeah. And that's also a good example of like, just getting movement going because sometimes people either they hunker down and they just try not to like get anything going. And then where they're not even trying to progress either. They're just trying to stop you. Um, or if just say it's like, a like, a like a tournament or a or super fight or whatever. And just like, there's not much time left. Like you need to create some movement. You need to get some reactions going so you can actually attack. Cause if someone just hunkered in tight, um, getting them to separate, like they're not going to willingly separate their arms from their body. You need to make them, you need to give them a reason to do it. So you need to create movement. So not always like, do you even want, not always do you need to even know what you're doing almost. Sometimes you just need to move them around and then find what you want to go for. So I think that's a bit of a, a misunderstood, not, not, not misunderstood, but not well understood thing. It's like, I'm not always trying to do something specific. Sometimes I just try to move people around uh, so I can find what I want or find what's available rather, rather than like, I really want this technique. How am I going to get it? Right. It's like, no, I'll move them somewhere and it's going to create some movement. They're going to have to post out somewhere, do something. They're going to have to separate their arm, their arm from their body or something like that. And then I can attack. So yeah, you can make jujitsu a lot easier for yourself just by like understanding that, like just move people around. I've been learning yeah. that a lot lately that you don't really need to know 10,000 different moves. You just need to know the core fundamentals and, and how to uh, use them properly. Yeah. And that's what I've been saying for a long time. Like you don't need a thousand different techniques. You, you just, you need to know the fundamentals, which I don't want to rant, but like it can be annoying sometimes. And people say my channel is like a beginner channel because it's not, it's just jujitsu fundamentals, which are important for all levels. Um, because yeah, I've talked about this before. Sometimes I feel like I don't get respect from like 
certain like higher belts be, because they're like, Oh, I got to learn from my Dan or Gordon or something or whatever it is. But it's like, no, like how good are your fundamentals? How good are your understandings of the specific objectives that need to be uh, prioritized? Like probably not always great. And these are the things that are going to help you the most rather than learning like the latest, uh, I don't know. What's like the, what's that leg walk that's like super popular that like that reap where you, I don't know. I don't know what it's called. It's like outside reap almost. I don't know, but like I, I can't even do it. Like I, I I've tried and I still got to figure it out more, but I think people get really high on these like new techniques that people are really uh, popularizing in competitive jujitsu, which is great. Definitely. You can learn those things, but if your fundamentals aren't perfect and great, you're not working on your fundamentals, then what are you even doing? Are you talking about the false reap? False reap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. You got Back another again. one. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. Uh, yeah. But what you said, like creating movement, that's something I actually do a lot when I compete. Um, one of the things like, and some of my students have asked me every now and then, like when I compete in the first chunk of the match, you know, let's say I pulled guard or the other guy pulled guard, I'll just start grabbing random shit. Like maybe if I'm playing guard, I'll try and underhook his leg and then I'll grab a wrist and then I'll take a collar tie. And I'm not really doing anything with any of it what i'm doing is trying to see what is this guy gonna overreact to like what grip do i take that makes him like oh like if i grab his wrist he like really jams his arm back and tries to pull it away and then you kind of know in your head okay if i need to make movement this guy doesn't like if i try and control his wrist he's gonna overreact or like uh, if i'm playing guard and i underhook his leg and he does nothing like he doesn't move at all i go well maybe this is a good guy to play k guard on because he's not reacting to the threat of like the underhook on the leg at all he's not trying to free it trying to strip it so sometimes like just doing things not necessarily committing to a move but just seeing like what's this guy going to react to and what's he not going to react to is super important because overreactions can give you opportunities to do things, but so can underreactions. Like if you threaten, like you said, like maybe I get an underhook or something and the guy does nothing to deal with it. Well, if you're not going to react at all, I'm just going to continue down this path and see how far I can go with it. You know, maybe I can get up to a dogfight position or I can sweep you with it or things like that. So I'm always trying to look for overreactions and underreactions. Yeah. That's a great point about underreactions too. Cause sometimes like, you do something and it's like, oh, well, that was kind of easier than I thought it was going to be. Now can I actually attack that, right? And because they didn't overreact, it's like you get, you actually get what, you're, what you didn't even intend as like, it's almost like your your setup actually works. And what I, what I do for movement, I always try to pull people forward or, or lift people forward. And the higher belts at our gym realize that, especially because Darren tells them that, tells them not to come forward on me. So it's really annoying because now they sit back so much. Um, and I just want to, I just want to pull them forward because as soon as I can pull them forward, I can figure out, um, what I'm going to do from there. And again, I don't have it in my head beforehand what I'm going to do. I just need to pull them forward, get their, get their weight off their, um, off their legs, right? Because all the way back is your, your butt is to your heels and then forward your butt lifts up and you want to attack before they can get their head on the mat or you, because when they're all the way forward, well, now they have base going forward. So you can't really lift them any more forward um, unless you can get underneath their legs, uh, which, which isn't all the way forward, but um, yeah, if they're all the way forward, it, it can be hard to get underneath their legs too, but yeah, like I just want to move people forward all the time. And when people sit back, it's, it, it slows down the roll because they need to come forward to also, uh, attack, right. To pass and whatnot. So it can slow down the roll. Um, and then people are scared to, to, to progress. 
because they think a trap is coming <laughs> because a trap is coming. <laughs> but yeah, that, it, yeah, it's like almost like anti jujitsu. But you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Well, I think that's why a lot of people say black belt matches can be kind of boring is because when you get two people who have the same approach, like you just mentioned, like, you know, if I'm worried about something and I'm not going to make a move or I'm going to like almost like sit back because I know you're trying to elevate me, it can lead to less action. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because that's exactly why black belt, black belt matches are often boring because they don't want to overextend themselves and neither one does and nothing happens, neither one creates any movement, and yeah, and then the viewers suffer because it ends up being boring. That's why I don't really like watching Shizu. That's why I like watching the first five minutes of an ADCC match, because they don't give a shit about points. They just go all out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, And then what can happen, too, is people can be, because this, this is going to be boring for, for me, too, to watch, where people are getting things going, but they can't quite finish like the end of it and like the person just regards by the end and then they try again and they regarded and just like, they can't quite establish position at the end. And so it can kind of go either way where it's like not scrambly, but uh, just nothing ends up happening. It's almost like the, yeah, the person on the bottom, I guess would like hunker down and instead of, um, you know, using that movement to attack, they just, they use it to, just defend and then the person on top you know they did all that work now they're back and back in the guard so just you can't it's not always a spectator friendly sport yeah someone yeah someone on reddit said one thing might make it more interesting is we did it like we did back in the day um like with the romans in the olympics and grappling was done all nude <laughs> and i don't know what you guys think about that i think that would be really uncomfortable like honestly i i don't know i feel like without underwear things would just be kind of flapping everywhere and it would kind of get in the way and make it awkward, obviously, but beyond the awkwardness, just like the, the it itself would, I don't know. It would be, it would make things diff difficult. I think, I think it would make things very difficult. But what, what do you think, Joe? Do you think we should go back to like the old days without clothes? Uh, no, I'm going to keep my clothes on. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's my personal preference. Every now and then at my gym though, we'll do rounds without shirts, like without rash guards for no gi, especially when we're getting ready for like ADCC opens and stuff like that. And, uh, even just not having the shirt on, I feel like naked when I roll, it's yeah. a lot of like skin on skin contact. It's really uncomfortable. I don't know how people slippery. enjoy it. I'm yeah, down for that. I'd like to try that. I like it's it. It's hard to hold on to people, man. When you're both like six or seven rounds into the night and you're like, all right, you know, we're seven rounds in, let's get one last round, ADCC rules. We're just going to take the rash guards off and go bare chest. And like, man, it is hard to hold on to people. I think that's why people don't wear shirts in ADCC because they're so hard to hold on yeah. to. And a couple of years ago, uh, when we were rolling more at my house, because we weren't allowed to roll at the <laughs> gym because, you know, pandemic and everything, not that we were doing that, you know, because we wouldn't break the rules yeah. and the law but like in the summer it was so hot so we take our, our rash guards off and it was just like a slip and slide like nothing's going yeah but i like that though and i think i like thrive in the sweat i don't know like not that it's like you know it's still hard but i think i do a good job um still when it's like slippery where i think some other people have a harder time like i just i don't know i just thrive in that sweat so maybe i would do better even without clothes without shorts on or without underwear but like i said just like it's just because the anatomy of men i think it would, it would make it really um i don't know just kind of you know what i mean it would, yeah it would just be kind of in the way 
Yeah, oil checks would be a. Yeah, but but think about like how uncomfortable you can make someone. Like you've got a Kimura on someone, you're on top, you're sitting on their on their face, <laughs> right? You could get the tap right then and there. Yeah, because especially if you didn't shower, <laughs> especially if you didn't shower, which could make things interesting too, because not always is is it about uh, physical toughness, but it's mental toughness too. Yeah. So if someone's butthole is right in your face. You need to be mentally tough. You have to be pretty mentally strong to handle that. If yeah. it stinks. Yeah. Well, either way. Even if, even yeah. if it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. I, don't, I don't know where I stole this rule from, but at our gym, we have a minimum of four layers rule. So there must be at all times a minimum of four layers of clothing between our genitals. So both underwear, both shorts. Like if you, there's no like, oh, I'm just going to wear spats, no underwear, no shorts. That's one layer, man. We each have to have two layers. <laughs> there's always four layers between the genitals. It keeps everyone How do you nice know? and happy. Do you check? No, but you'll notice. You'll notice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. You won't so, know if they have more, but if you have less, you're definitely going to notice. But that's two layers, right? So you're talking rash guard and something else too? No, so it's like if I've got my underwear and my shorts on, that's two layers for me, and the other person has underwear oh. and shorts on. That's So like we have to have a combined four layers between at all times. Okay, so you can wear your underwear and shorts, and I can wear two rash guards. But, but that's not on your, like, they got to be, you, if you wear two rash guards as pants, you can wear two sets of spats. I would allow that. It'd be but weird, but I'd allow it. That would be weird. But why, why did they do that back in the day, do you think? And why, you know, did the statues, they were all so small? Maybe, maybe, Stage fright. I don't know. Well, maybe people evolved to have bigger ones. And then when they were so small, they weren't quite in the way. So it wasn't quite a big deal when they were grappling because it's just like a little um, inconvenience instead of like a bigger inconvenience. I wonder back then, because it was no rules, pancreas, right? Like, could you, could you grab somebody by the balls and twist back then? Like you've seen, you've all seen that video where the guy's screaming, twist his dick. (laughs) Could that happen back then? Is that shit legal? Well, it it opens up more submissions for sure. Oh, for sure. Somebody does that to me. I'm fuck. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. But uh, yeah, another trigger I like is when people are squared and when they're when they're standing, like their both feet are, um, I don't know what the word is, like they're both equally close to you rather than staggered. A uh, great time to go for a dummy sweep, and it doesn't make you. Um, it's the reason why it's called a dummy sweep is because you, you have to be a dummy to get swept like that. But that's not true. Like sometimes you just do what you shouldn't, and not all the t- not all the time is even bad to step uh, squared because if you use your knees to point forward, use your shins to press into them, then they can't extend you. And one thing I've been trying to do is I learned this from Marcelo Garcia. I watched a video like uh, like two weeks ago. I didn't even know this was a thing. Like I learned something new. And what he would do, he will he would pull guard into the dummy sweep. He pull guard and dummy sweep them right away. And I was thinking, whoa, this is like a great. Uh, a great takedown, I guess, that I've never uh, explored. I, I guess it'd be, I don't know, I guess it'd be a sweep, but I, to me it's more like a takedown because you're, you're it's it's like a fake arpel ankle pick, but instead you're pulling guard and dummy sweeping right away, but you need them to step uh, squared. So I was trying it and it wasn't working. And so I told, I asked Darren and he's like, well, you need to pull them forward first. Like, you know, pull their head forward, make them step. I was like, oh, that's such an obvious answer. I didn't realize it because I was just trying to go for it anyways. And then now I'm trying to pull people forward, get them to step squared, and then instantly uh, pulling guard and then going going for that dummy sweep. And yeah, I should have realized that when I watched Marcelo. But yeah, I think that's a cool one that, that I'm, I'm trying to add to my game. I do it all the time too. I watched Marcelo do it to Crone. 
a bunch in their in their matches, and he didn't even uh, touch them with his hands. He just uh, his feet are just like hands. So the way he angled his feet and pulled them back so quickly, it would knock Crone off yeah. uh, balance every time, and sometimes uh, sweep them completely. And I use that all the time, and it works at least fifty percent of the time. If not, they uh, they it off balances them and creates some kind of scramble. And sometimes people do wrestle really squared. So people that wrestle really squared, that's a de- that's a a really good one to go to use on them. But most people definitely wrestle staggered. So then you have to get them to step. So probably Crone, he probably was wrestling very squared, and that's why he was so like available for him every time. But uh, Marcelo, he um, he like changed jujitsu like oh, completely. He doesn't get the respect he deserves. Like he's definitely well respected, but it's like the newer generation doesn't understand that a lot of what Marcelo uh, or a lot of what Danaher, Dan, yeah, Danaher teaches yeah. is stuff that Marcelo did. Uh, when he was, you know, competing, like so much of modern jujitsu comes from Marcelo, and uh, yeah, I feel like he deserves more credit. Like, you know, Gordon's known as the goat uh, of no gi, Hodger's the goat of gi, but Marcelo might be the all-around goat. Um, I think so because he was smaller too and beat you know huge dudes and whatnot, and just completely revolutionized the game. And no disrespect to Hodger, I don't mean this at all disrespectful, but he he used a lot of fundamentals uh, to get his wins, which a lot of the techniques were kind of, kind of tried and true, uh, which is nothing wrong with that. That's great. But Marcelo was, I feel like, kind of more of an innovator where he came up with his own stuff and and it worked great. And now it's a lot of what modern jiu-jitsu is, like the straight jacket system. Um, X-guard. Yeah, X-guard, the, that shoulder crunch sweep. It's Marcelo. Marcelo team. Yeah. And I, I feel like... My game, I, I watched a lot of Marcel back in the day, but um, so it was definitely influenced by that. But I think just like progressively, it's just gotten more and more like Marcelo's. And um, yeah, I just really, uh, I've always really liked Marcelo because um, he's a great, really nice dude too. We have a very similar body type in the sense of we have like short, strong legs and we're really good with our feet. So I should watch him even more because I learned that from him. So I'm sure I could learn even more. I think for scrambles, one. Sorry, Joe. I didn't mean to cut you off. I think for scrambles, one of my favorite guys to watch is Gary Tonin. There's nothing that's ever. It's never a boring match with him. He's always creating some kind of scramble or doing something crazy. Same with Jeff Glover. I know he's. uh, I haven't seen him roll in a long time, but when I did, we did watch him roll. They were at least entertaining to watch. There was never a dull moment with those two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think Marcelo is one of those guys that uh, people who started training like around the same time as us. We kind of like started coming up when Marcelo was at his peak, when he was winning, when he was like, you know, super dominant and winning all these titles. And for us, I think like getting to watch that, we have like a level of respect for him, but I do feel like, like the new people coming into the sport don't really know as much about Marcelo. Like I'll have white belts ask me like, Hey, who should I watch for like, you know, this kind of stuff. And I'll be like, Marcelo, like without a doubt, Marcelo is the guy to watch if you want to learn about this. And I'll be like, who's that? I don't know. And I'm like, I just feel like he's one of those guys that doesn't necessarily have like, uh, like you said, like the, that lasting like respect from like the new generations, like everyone kind of knows of Hodger and like Gordon is what Gordon is now. But I feel like technically Marcelo was as good or better than both of those guys. Uh, like you said, like they had a lot of size on him, you know, when people are like, Oh, Gordon keeps winning absolute divisions. Well, no shit. Uh, 
when you're big and technical, it's a lot easier to win than when you're small and technical. Yeah. And like I've said before on the podcast, it'd be, it'd be easier to call Gordon the goat if he wasn't on steroids, because then we really know, can he beat these big dudes uh, natural? Because Marcelo could, he couldn't beat everyone um, that, that was bigger than him. Like size does matter, but uh, he did beat a lot of big dudes and he was just so dominant and so good. And yeah, like would his record be better than Gordon's if Gordon was natural, right? So I don't know. I don't know who's more technical. Like to me, um, I don't know. I got to go with Marcelo. Also, I think, yeah. Like Marcelo is winning in the gi and no gi. Uh, So to say someone's like the goat, like you have, when people say Gordon Ryan's the goat, like you have to say he is the goat of no gi because a lot of these guys, like uh, one thing I'll give Hodger over Gordon is that Hodger won them both. Like he's not just training 365 days a year in no gi. He's doing both. Like, you know, to train at least half of the year in the gi and then go win ADCC. Like that's, that's impressive in a different way. Like, not taking anything away from these guys who train just Nogi, but there is something to be said for the guys who are winning the same amount of titles in Nogi, but also winning titles in the Gi. Like you're basically winning in two different sports at the same time, whereas one person's just doing a single sport. Exactly. And against my earlier point, Hodger, definitely amazing. No disrespect. He used fundamentals to be super successful, which is amazing. And then Gordon uses so much of what Marcelo, uh, innovated and created but then marcel is the one that again innovating created that so it's hard not to uh yeah give marcelo more credit and the credit that he deserves uh so much they all deserve a lot of credit they're all amazing for sure it's funny though i've heard that marcelo doesn't like to use or teach uh, he calls them strong man moves like kimuras and uh, arm triangles and a lot of leg locks and stuff like that yeah it makes no sense to me like you know especially in this day and age you know you know what i mean with the leg lock game yeah, or like Kimura's, I can see a case for the submission itself being a strong man move, but the Kimura grip is an amazing grip, like the Kimura trap and whatnot. Uh, to not use that, uh, or, not, or to think that, or yeah, yeah, to not give that credit for, because that system deserves a lot of credit, it's great. So I don't I don't think that's accurate What of what he thinks. I think he also doesn't do arming guillotines. I could be wrong. Or, or is he, or maybe it's the opposite. He does, I don't know. I think he doesn't do arming guillotines. I'm not sure about the guillotines, but to me, arming guillotines are the best. Like you know, but yeah, the, you know, body type matters, stuff like that. So maybe he has some bias because maybe his body type didn't work the best for those specific moves, and it wasn't necessarily that they're strongman moves or whatever, but they just didn't feel natural to him, or he didn't explore them uh, enough to give them enough credit. But people can be you know great and amazing, but be wrong about some things. So yeah. he did win by heel hook against, I can't remember the guy's name. Yeah. Uh, the guy was enormous and uh, dumped him on his, uh, he was on him as a backpack, dumped Marcelo right on his back. And then, but when he got better, he jumped up and grabbed a heel hook and, and won. But that's the only time you'll ever see him do a heel hook in competition. And I've heard that he does not like to teach it at all. Well, one thing I've heard too, um, which I don't mean any disrespect. This is what I've heard is that he's not a great teacher which I find interesting um, because people say that uh, Paul Schreiner, I think it's his name. He, uh, he's a student under Marcelo. He, he's a, 
they say that he's a much better teacher than Marcelo. So, but he uses what he learns from Marcelo, but does a better job teaching it. And overall, Marcelo isn't a great teacher. But I don't know, like in which way, like just I don't know. I guess just not great at explaining things. Yeah, just not great at explaining things. I guess and not making it clear enough to the students. But um, well, there is yeah. a really big difference between like being good at jujitsu and being good at teaching jujitsu. Like uh, I'm sure most people who've trained long enough have met someone who's like, man, this guy is really good. Like maybe he beats me up on the mats and then you ask him to show you a move and he's just like, I don't know, bro, just like move like that. And you're like, okay, well that was the most useless advice any human has ever given me, but thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Like we all know someone like that who like they can do things really well, but they cannot articulate how or why they're doing or what they're doing. They're just like, yeah, my body just moves really well. And I'm, real good at it and you're like okay great job i don't know if you'll ever be a coach but like you're good at the sport so i think like you know you you hear a lot about people going like oh yeah i trained with like or like i trained under this world champion and to me that always like you got to take that with a grain of salt like just because the guy you're training with is really good and athletic doesn't necessarily mean that he's the best coach yeah that's a great point but and it's interesting because Marcel did have a lot of uh, really good students. Um, like, uh, yeah, Dylan Dennis was one of them. Yeah, and you know, say what you want about him, but he's definitely good at jujitsu. Um, oh, but, for sure, world champ. Yeah, I, I think he came up originally from Marcelo. I could be wrong, but I think he started with Marcelo. Yeah. But I could definitely be wrong. But there's also like uh, Mateus Denise. There's Tinoco. Um, Johnny Grippo other, started there. No, actually, Gianno Grippo, he started at uh, Hensel Gracie's, and then oh, he switched oh, to Marcellus. he moved to Marcellus as a brown belt or whatever. But I think yeah. that's a, a good example of, like, if you put enough talented people in a room, they're probably going to get good. Like, yeah. Whether it's the great instruction or what, but, like, I can't imagine if you put some talented, intelligent people in a room where they're rolling with all of those guys and Marcello that they're not going to learn how to do jujitsu, whether it's from the instruction or just from rolling with other really skilled uh, training partners and picking their brain, you know, seeing what they do, trying to mimic that like talent breeds talent. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and also Bernardo, he was also uh, with Marcelo. I was just going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. And, but all those guys, I'm pretty sure didn't start with Marcelo other than uh, Dan, Danis might've, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I think but, Danis did. Yeah. Yeah. But again, great, uh, which yeah, is, is really shows Joey's point of like, if you have all these people that are really good at jujitsu, even if you're not a great teacher, just like good people rolling together, you're, you're going to get better. You're going to get good. And, um, if you're a really good competitor, probably good people are going to want to train with you. So making people good, isn't only teaching them. It's like, rolling with them and giving them the right looks by being good at judisu. So, um, even despite him, maybe not being a great teacher, I don't know. I've never like learned from him. Um, he, he was still a great, he still produced great talent be because he was so good and everyone that came was so good and they all made each other so much better. But again, yeah. yeah one, one quick thing, no disrespect to Marcel. I don't know if he's a bad teacher. This is just what I've seen people say that he's not a great teacher. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, like, to keep going further on that point, you know, obviously John Danaher is a great coach. I'm not going to say differently. But if you look at the people in that room, I think that gym would have had success no matter who's running it. 
Like that's, I guess my unpopular opinion is that like, if you put Gordon Ryan, Gary Tonin, all the guys who left to start B team, Marigali, all those guys in a room and you gave them you or I as a coach, bro, they're still all going to be fantastic grapplers. Like the coach at that point to me plays a somewhat minimal role. It's mostly the training partners that are really important there. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes people give coaches too much credit, which is not a bad thing. It's fine. Like I think respecting your coach obviously is great, but also understanding that a lot of times it is, it is the room more so that uh, has the biggest impact on your jujitsu more so than having a great coach. And there's tons of great rooms out there where you've never even heard of the coach and um, it might be them that's uh, producing the talent, or it might just be the fact that they attracted a lot of great people and iron sharp, iron sharpens iron 100%. And yeah, another good example is just the fact that I haven't had a coach um, since I was a blue belt, but I still did good. I got to roll with good people and that's uh, made me better. So yeah, I think people shouldn't rely too much on their coach or blame their coach either, because that's the thing too if you're not doing well enough and you're like blaming your coaching, um, it's probably not their fault. It's probably like, you got to take accountability for yourself and get better. Or maybe it's the room isn't good enough. Maybe they are a great coach, but the room kind of sucks and, uh, you're not going to get much better because of that. You know, it seems like a really great coach. I've been watching a lot of his videos lately. <clears throat> he was the gentleman that came up and did the wrestling video with you. Oh, Joe Breeza. Joe Breeza. And, uh, the way he explains things like it's, he's not showing moves. It's just, it's all like him talking. They're, they're amazing to watch. He was yeah. basically showing that Danaher's feet to floor video is basically uh, American wrestling just with Japanese names. That's yeah. a, a, like most 90% of his stuff, the way he was breaking it down is he's a very, very good coach. Yeah. Joe is super knowledgeable. He's super knowledgeable. I learned so much from him. Like when he was down for the week and uh, yeah, we talk all the time too. And uh he he likes to criticize Danahar. Um, he, well, Danahar's uh, wrestling, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that's the videos I was watching. Yeah, because Joe is a wrestler, D, a former D one wrestler, so he knows what he's talking about. And just like small things of like you know that Danahar does of like hand like just like the hand fighting or just like taking 50-50 grips, they're just things that you wouldn't be teaching in. Um, in high level wrestling. So is that 50, 50 grips that, that one went? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was watching that video too. He said, it makes zero sense whatsoever. Why you do that? Yeah, exactly. So he can really see that and be like, you know, what is he doing? Like, what is he teaching? Or like, you know, us jujitsu guys or just jujitsu guys in general, they, yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't say us because I, I, I definitely view when I watch Dan Harv, like, I don't just take what he says as like word. I'm sure you guys don't either, but a lot of people do where it's like, whatever he says, they're like bow down to it. Right. But everyone should be scrutinized and put under the lens to make sure that what they're teaching is correct and, and best. Right. Because if what some of that stuff Joe's saying is wrong and not taught uh, in high level wrestling, then, then it is right. Then it's just, you know, he knows what he's talking about. So I agree yeah. and disagree in a way. Um, so one thing like our gym, we've got a wrestling coach now, um, really good, really good wrestler. And he's like a teacher by day, like he teaches for a living. So like, he's a very good instructor. But one of the things we've had the most fun kind of exploring together is like, he has a bunch of knowledge from wrestling that I don't have. But what I do have is the jujitsu knowledge. So there are certain things that, um, you know, will do. And he'll be like, yeah, in wrestling, this isn't like a good thing to do. 
or like in wrestling, this is a really good like position or grip to have. And I'm like, ah, but in jujitsu, it leaves you really open to something that is illegal in wrestling. Like that wouldn't happen. So I do think there are things that like, if you took the best wrestling minds in the world and showed them jujitsu guys wrestling in a jujitsu rule set, they might say is really bad wrestling. But part of that is because it has to be tailored for the rules. Like, uh, certain things that you would never do in wrestling, you can get away with doing in jujitsu because the rules are literally different. Like, you know, uh, it, it does make a big difference when you change things. Like it's not quite the same sport. So you're trying to almost like hybridize two sports and two rule sets. There's a lot, obviously that does carry over. Like I'm sure Joe knows what he's talking about when it comes to wrestling and does understand like at least the basics of how to adapt things for jujitsu. But like there are certain grips that are illegal in wrestling. Like, so in wrestling, I can't do like a, a Muay Thai clinch, like two hands on the back of the head. Well, in jujitsu, I can. I can, I can grab you both hands on the back of the head. There's literally nothing that stops me from doing that. Um, you know, like if someone ends in turtle and wrestling, uh, certain rules, you're not allowed to lock your hands together. Well, in jujitsu, I can't, I can lock that for sure. Uh, I also don't need to turn you in wrestling. You know, I'm looking to turn, get you on your back and jujitsu. Like if you're going to be belly down, I'm a okay with that. So, uh, you know, I see a lot of videos of like wrestlers and I'm not saying Joe specifically, but wrestlers like criticizing, like, a jujitsu guy's technique in wrestling, which again, I agree a lot of it's really terrible, but there are certain times they criticize and you go like, yeah, maybe that wouldn't work in NCAA wrestling, but for the purposes of what I'm trying to accomplish in jujitsu, it's really good. Like that is a good move to do. It puts me in a good grappling scenario. He talks about that a lot too, that it has to be tailored towards jujitsu as well. You can't just use flat wrestling moves. It, sometimes they don't work. Yeah. He, he has a, he has a belt in jujitsu as well, right? Yeah. He's a blue belt in yeah. jujitsu. Yeah. Okay. But I agree with you, Joey. I think that both uh, perspectives need to be scrutinized always and yeah. make sure they're accurate where like, you know, the jujitsu guy teaching wrestling, you need to make sure what he's teaching is true. And the, and the wrestler teaching wrestling for jujitsu needs to be scrutinized to make sure that this stuff makes sense within a jiu-jitsu context and it's not just wrestling for wrestling. So 100%. I think Joe does a great job of uh, of seeing the jiu-jitsu perspective. Um, so, yeah, but I think many wrestlers don't. I think you're 100% right. Um, and no one should be unscrutinized. No one should be, like, uh, you know, bow down to because of their name, you know, like they're a big name or they accomplish this or that. It's, like, always what the, what they're doing, what they're showing – make sure it's hundred percent accurate and, and true. So yeah, I think it goes both ways. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been an hour and, uh, it's been a good time. So with that said, thank you for sticking around to the end of the podcast. Oh, actually, first off, um, like it would be helpful for us. Like if you guys have any questions, like leave them in the YouTube comments, because sometimes we do have a hard time figuring out what to talk about. We talked about so many things. So we always appreciate if you have questions, uh, we can answer them and talk about them. So yeah, with that said, thank you for sticking around to the end of the video or end of the podcast. If you're still here, please leave a comment or question and we'll see you guys next time.